This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through to 21. The title of my sermon is Beware of Covetousness. Beware of Covetousness. In the parable of the foolish farmer, which we will look at in a short while, the Lord Jesus Christ talked about a rich man who had a plentiful harvest, We'll look at what he did with his abundant crop. And most of all, we'll consider the attitude of his heart towards God. However, before we do that, we'll consider the verses that immediately precede the parable in order to help us to better understand the farmer's sin that was exposed by Jesus. The sin of covetousness. Look again at... Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? In Luke chapter 12, we've seen over a number of weeks now, Jesus had been teaching a crowd of people about very weighty and serious matters of eternal importance. Matters such as not fearing men who can do no more than kill the body, but fear God who, having killed, has power to cast into hell. Maybe you've heard that people take themselves to hell because of their sins. I don't know if you've heard that. Maybe you've even said it yourself about people marching themselves off to hell because of their sin. It's nonsense. As can be seen in verse 5 of chapter 12, it's not what Jesus says. He tells us that God casts people into hell. Then Jesus went on to talk about him denying before God all who through fear of other people deny him. That's something that ought to be taken very seriously by all of you professing Christians. Anyone who's not a Christian, you don't expect them to speak about Jesus before other people. But obviously, of all the people in the world, one would expect Christians to confess Jesus before others. But Jesus says that he will deny those who deny him. Speaking to professing Christians there. And in verse 10, Jesus talked about the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against God, the Holy Spirit. It doesn't get any more serious than that, does it? An unforgivable sin. I still don't really understand that sin. I've preached on it a few times now. A sin that is unforgivable. All I know is it's very serious stuff, isn't it? And I thank God that all my sins are forgiven. Amazingly, there was a certain man in the crowd who said to Jesus in verse 13 there, Master, speak to my brother that he may divide, that he divide the inheritance with me. That really is something when you consider the serious matters 
with eternal consequences that Jesus had been talking about to that crowd. You'd have to wonder if that man had been listening to Jesus because it would appear that he was more concerned with some precious earthly inheritance than about anything that Jesus had been saying. I'm sure I'm not the only preacher who sometimes wonder if anyone's actually listening to my sermons. But if it can happen to the greatest of all preachers, it can most certainly happen to all other preachers as well. Where the word of God goes in one ear and out the other, or just bounces off people. As Bishop Ryle said, even the preaching of Christ did not arrest the attention of all his hearers. The minister of Christ in the present day must never be surprised to see worldliness and inattention in the midst of his congregation. The servant must not expect his sermons to be more valued than his master's. Because we see it in this passage here. The man, it seems as if as soon as Jesus stopped to take breath, that man appealed to Jesus concerning an earthly inheritance. Many people imagine that Christ would set up an earthly kingdom. In fact, many people still imagine that to be the case. So perhaps the man who was concerned about his inheritance imagined Jesus to be the obvious person to take up his cause with because he saw Jesus as some kind of earthly judge, uh, earthly arbitrator between him and his brother. Maybe the man had a just grievance and who better to deliver a righteous judgment in that dispute than the infinitely wise Son of God who knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. However, that is not why Jesus came into the world, not the first time at any rate. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners Having said that, a day has been appointed when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again in judgment. And when Jesus comes again in judgment, it won't be like a normal court scene. There won't be any defence lawyers, prosecution lawyers with the judge sitting there listening very carefully to the arguments for and against and all that stuff. Jesus will already have the verdict. And Jesus, the everlast, the, the, the righteous judge rather, he will send some to life eternal and others to everlasting punishment. In a word, what do you imagine that the man who spoke to Jesus was driven by? The answer to me is very obvious. Earthly riches. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with him desiring his rightful share of the inheritance, but obviously that was more important to him than anything else, even more important than anything that Jesus had to say. In fact, it was of the utmost importance to him, the earthly inheritance. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through to 21, Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where do you imagine that man was laying up his treasure? Where was his heart? In heaven or on the earth? I'll leave you to work that one out. But for me, I think the answer is obvious again. On the earth, with his earthly treasures. Not in heaven. It's something that we do well to ask ourselves, each one of us here. By God's grace, all of you who are savingly united to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is where? Where is Jesus now? Is he in the grave? No, he's in heaven. Your saviour's in heaven. And you who belong to Jesus, you must surely consider him to be your chief treasure and all spiritual blessings that you have through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ must surely be your greatest possessions. And most certainly your greatest possessions are not the things of this world. As precious as they are to us. As a rule, I'm not one to talk about financial giving. But it seems appropriate to make mention of it on this occasion. Putting money in the box at the back there. The professing Christians in here. In other words, those of you who have a testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour from sin. You might arrive at an honest and accurate answer as to where you really are laying up treasures if you consider how much you give, you cheerfully give, out of your substance towards the proclamation of the gospel that saved you. How much do you give towards that same gospel that saved you? And that includes how much you give towards this church continuing to be a light in a very dark place. I hope you understand that I'm not after your money. I don't want your money. But it's important to mention this from time to time. There is a place for it. And by the way, I'm not addressing those of you in here who seem to vainly imagine that by putting money in the box there, you can earn uh, merit with God and you can buy your way into heaven. I'm not talking to you. And I tell you now, you're wasting your time if that is what you are doing. I'm talking to the Christians in here who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, having heard the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And my question is very simple. How much do you give towards the uh, advancement and the, the proclamation of that same gospel that saved you? In other words, I'm talking to people who have been taken out of darkness and transferred into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now seated in heaven. And you are seated in the heavenlies as well, through faith in Jesus. 
What Jesus said in verse 15 laid bare the condition of the heart of the man who was preoccupied with thoughts of an earthly inheritance. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That word covetousness means avarice, it means a greedy desire to have more. It describes that man to a T and it takes us to verses 16 through to 21 which is a parable about someone who was covetous. Jesus described him as a rich man who was not rich towards God. So we'll look at the um, the parable of this man who was not rich towards God. Verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. There you have it. The man was rich. There's nothing in this parable to suggest that his riches were the proceeds of crime or that he was a corrupt politician. And it's not necessarily a sin to be rich. There are numerous examples in the Bible of great men of God who were rich. For example, there was Abraham, about whom it is written in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, that he was very rich in cattle, silver and in gold. Very rich. But when you read about Abraham in the chapter of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, this world was not his home. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, a heavenly city. His heart was in heaven where his treasures were stored up, heavenly treasures, including most of all the saviour who would come into the world 2,000 years later to atone for Abraham's sins. And it wasn't just Abraham either. There was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man and he was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. After the sacrificial death of Jesus, Joseph prepared the Lord's body for burial and laid Jesus in his own new tomb. What a privilege it was for that man to lay his saviour's body in his own tomb. Outside the scriptures, there was the Countess of Huntingdon in the 18th century. Apparently, she founded a sect of Calvinistic Methodists. I don't like the Methodist bit, but I like the Calvinist bit. She used her right as a peeress to appoint evangelical clergymen as her chaplains and she built chapels in Brighton, Bath, Tunbridge Wells and other centres of aristocratic society. In 1768, she established Trevorca House in Talgarth, Brecknockshire, at her own expense for the training of evangelical clergymen. So she was rich towards God in that she she gave of her substance towards the proclamation of the gospel, training up men of God for the ministry. 
looking at verses 17 through to 20 now in Luke chapter 12. This is the substance of the parable now. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? In verse 17, it's written that he thought within himself, saying. That can be quite innocent as well, can't it? Thinking within yourself. doesn't have to be anything wrong with that. I hope not. Anyway, my wife often catches me giving voice to the thoughts that I have within myself. Happens quite a lot. Someone else who spoke to himself was King David. Whether he spoke out loud or within himself, I don't know. But in Psalm 103 and verse 1, David was speaking to his soul. And he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. I would say praise be to God if you're able to speak to your soul, your own soul, about the forgiveness of sins that you have through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the deliverance of your soul from destruction. You are greatly blessed if you're able, when you're talking away to yourself, to talk about those things, the important things. Coming back to the rich man in the parable, we shall see that his thoughts within himself <clears throat> were very different to the psalmist's. Far from praising God for, his, for all his spiritual blessings, his thoughts revealed his greed and his covetousness. If you were to count how many times he said, I and my, in those few verses you'd find that it was 11 or 12 times, depending on what version of the Bible you have, what translation you have. And that indicates just how self-absorbed and how selfish that man was, how preoccupied he was with his earthly riches, of building greater barns to put his abundant crop in, how he had no thought for God. He had it all worked out, what he was going to do, he was going to build those bigger barns to contain his bumper harvest and I guess that's a good idea. If you've got a bumper harvest, then why not? It makes sense to build bigger barns. He was going to relax and have a good time eating and drinking and being merry. Again, without no thought for God. And that's the problem. Not that he planned to build bigger barns or that he thought within himself, but that he had no thought for his maker, almighty God, who had given him so much in this world. So what did God have to say to the rich man? 
Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? The rich man would have done well to read and take heed of Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1 where it is written, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. But clearly he did not read that verse of scripture. And God called him a fool, meaning senseless, meaning stupid. In fact, he was sinfully stupid. God had other plans for that man that most certainly did not allow him to take his ease or to eat or to be merry. That very night he was going to die. And as for his bumper harvest, he would be saying goodbye to all of it. He wouldn't be taking it with him. Last of all, Jesus said in verse 21, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is when it all gets very personal, isn't it? With the Lord Jesus Christ giving a warning of the same end for any one of you who is not rich towards God. Whether you're a prince or a pauper, it makes no difference how much you have in this world because in this parable, Jesus speaks into the wicked hearts of all of us and that is because all of us to varying degrees is driven by covetousness or greediness. All of us. That hidden sin of covetousness where we just want more and more and more. It's, it's, we have that, I call it a disease, it's not a disease, it's a sin. I've seen it, see it everywhere, I see it in me, I see it in poor, the poor countries of this world, and I see it in prosperous countries like this, where we've never got enough. If you were to count, um, hang on, I'm getting lost with this now. It's a, it was a very serious matter when you consider that as has already been seen with the man whose mind was preoccupied with his earthly inheritance, the word of truth has no place in a person who has got covetousness in his or her heart. The rich man in the parable, he had no thought for God. That's what covetousness does. You can't serve God and mammon. God and money. If you're preoccupied with the things of this world, then God is out of the picture. It's not for nothing that covetousness can be seen in the Bible, in the Bible, in verses alongside other despicable sins. Don't think covetousness is something tiny, a, a, a tiny, a teeny weeny little sin. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 27 through to 30, the Apostle Paul said, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. Speaking about homosexual 
offenders here and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet or which was suitable. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them, gave these homosexual offenders, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. How about that? Where did that come from? Covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. Paul listed a whole bunch of abominations that homosexual offenders whom God gives over to a reprobate mind to their vile affections commit. And right in the middle of that list is covetousness. Paul didn't just come out with any random words. He was being led by the Holy Spirit when he said what he said. And we need to examine every word very closely. Not that there's any suggestion that the rich man in the parable, we're back to the man in the parable, not that there's any suggestion that he was uh, a homosexual offender. We, we, we're not given that information. But clearly, when a person lives as though there is no God, as the man in the parable did, let, let me eat, drink and take my ease, or speaking to his soul, and, and be merry, he had no thought for God. Greed is right there, and amongst other ungodly desires and pursuits, there is that covetousness. Whoever you are. In fact, much, if not all, of the other abominations are the fruit of covetousness, because that is your attitude of heart. I want it, and I'm going to have it. No thought for God. I want it. It's, again, it's like the man in the parable. It's all about me, me, me. It's not for nothing that Paul said the love of money is the root of all evil. You can see why when you consider the man in the crowd's preoccupation with an earthly inheritance and also the rich man who was preoccupied with building bigger barns. Neither of those two men had any thought for God. Blessed are you if whatever you have in this world, whether you have a lot or or, or not a lot, whether that all pales into insignificance compared to the riches of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, believing that all your sins, including your covetousness, were laid upon Jesus, who, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.